0: Well, good morning, everyone. It really is an honor to be here and to spend this morning with you. So thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to spend this time with you. So if you brought your Bible with you to chapel this morning, go ahead and take it, if you would, and turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We've been studying the book of John in our church the last couple of months, and we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, John chapter 6 as was mentioned back in may of 2007 i graduated from here at bju and then just a few months after that i moved from where i grew up up north in michigan all the way down south to georgia to the atlanta georgia area where again i became the youth pastor of the church that i'm still at again now 15 years later and again as was mentioned i was the youth pastor for several years and then after that became the assistant pastor and then eventually the senior pastor But I share that simply to say, back when I was a youth pastor, any time that I would have the privilege of speaking to our students, or even to some of the college students in our church, I used to always love to talk about what I called the six most important years of your life. And maybe you've heard somebody speak of that before, but the six most important years of your life. And what I mean by that is studies show that if you live to be 70, 80, 90, even 100 years old, you will likely make the vast majority of your life's most important decisions really all within about a six-year period of time. And that is basically from the beginning of your senior year of high school all the way till about a year or so after you graduate from college, assuming of course you only spend four years here in college, And again, arguably then, the six most important years of your life. It's usually within those six years that most people decide, first of all, uh, if and then when and where they will go to college. Obviously, a decision I'm assuming that all of you have already made since you're here this morning. It's also within those six years that most will choose what they will major in, uh, what you will study while you're in college, Uh, Many in those six years will decide what profession they will choose to pursue. It's often within those six years that many will find and then date and then marry your spouse, your life's mate. Uh, It's usually sometime during those six years that many will go from being under your parents' roof uh, to then being independent for the first time. Uh, Some will make a decision within those six years to move away. Uh, maybe to a different city or a different state or maybe even a different country. Uh, Many will seek out and then begin their first permanent job within those six years. And some may even begin to start a small family, again, all within those six years. And so in your entire lifetime, you will likely make the majority of life's most important decisions all within those six years And to say it again, they are decisions that are going to shape, that are going to impact the direction and the course of the rest of your life. So they're pretty important. And yet, and this is really what I want to speak about this morning, uh, with all of those decisions that you will face, with all of the choices that you're going to make, uh, with all of the questions that you're going to be asked to answer over the next few years, There is one question. There is one question that is far, far, far more important than any of the others. And that one question is the same question that Jesus asked his disciples about 2,000 years ago. And that question is the title of the message this morning. And that is just five words. Here's the question. Will you also walk away? Will you also walk away? I want you to remember that, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Will you also walk away? I know we've already prayed a couple of times this morning, uh, but if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord just one final time uh, before we dive into the text, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you uh, for this morning and for this chapel time. And Lord, I know, I know that for so many of these students, uh, this is just another chapel in the midst of another day, uh, full of busy schedules and classes and projects and homework, friends. there's always so much that's going on in any given week. But Lord, I pray that for just these next few moments, uh, that each one of us, Lord, will, uh, will quiet our hearts. In our minds. And as your word says, to just be still. To be still and to know that you are God. I pray, Lord, that you would feed us, that you would teach us, that you would change us through your word. And Lord, I do pray for each one of these students here. And Lord, specifically for those who may be tired today or weary, worn out already from a long couple of weeks. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would refresh them today, that you would renew their spirit. Uh, Lord, for those who may be discouraged this morning, I pray, Father, that you would encourage them, that, Lord, you would restore to them, as your word says, the joy of their salvation, that they would continue to walk and even run but not faint. And, Lord, for those this morning who may be anxious or worried today about any number of things, uh, Father, I pray that you would give them your peace. Uh, Lord, that they would be anxious for nothing, uh, but instead by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that Lord, they would present their requests to you and then that you, as you promised, would give peace and a peace that passes understanding in a peace that is going to guard their hearts and their minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, so, Lord, I, I want to commit each one of these students to you, and I want to commit this time to you now, If we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, John chapter 6, and if you look down with me at the text, you're going to notice right away that John chapter 6 is very long. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the book of John, one of the longest in the New Testament. There's a total of 71 verses altogether. And so obviously with the time that we have in chapel this morning, we're not going to be uh, reading through or even looking at the entire chapter. Uh, But instead, I want us to really just focus in on two verses primarily. And both of these two verses come toward the very end of the chapter. But before we get there, to kind of help to set the stage for us to get a picture of what's going on here in John chapter 6. If you look down at verse 1. Uh, The chapter begins with Jesus and his disciples, it says, crossing the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And as they travel, they don't travel alone. It says in verse 2, it says, and a great multitude followed him. It says, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And so we have this large crowd, this This massive crowd that is following, that is gathering around Jesus as he goes from place to place. And then later, starting in verse 5, it says this huge crowd, as people often do, they start to get hungry. And then beginning in verse 11, uh, we have really the incredible miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Where Jesus takes just five little tiny barley loaves, two small fish... He prays, and then he breaks them, and then he feeds well over 5,000 people. I know it's a familiar story to all of us, but it's an absolutely amazing and incredible miracle. And then if you look down at verse 14, after seeing this, the people respond, and they say, verse 14, this is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. In other words, they're saying, we have all heard about his other miracles. Some of us have maybe even seen some of his other miracles. A lame person that can now walk. A blind guy that can now see. But, but now this. This miracle is in a whole other league. This guy just fed thousands and thousands of people with one little tiny lunch. And so they're thinking to themselves, this guy has got to be the Messiah. This guy has got to be our king. This man must be the prophet that we've been waiting for. But then, things start to change. And if you look with me all the way down at verse 48, uh, it's the following day now, and with the miracle of yesterday still fresh in everybody's minds, uh, Jesus begins to teach, and he says in verse 48, he says... I am the bread of life. He says, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give, he says, is my flesh, which I will give for the life of of the world, I imagine this moment was kind of a chance for the crowd to, to kind of catch themselves and say, wait, what, what, what did he just say? You know, in our Christian context, we're so used to what Jesus says here. We know what he's talking about. We've heard Bible lessons and sermons about it probably your whole life. But just imagine for a moment that you're hearing this for the first time. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's fine. But then he says, the bread that I will give is my flesh. What is he talking about? In response to this, the crowd replies in verse 52, they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so they were impressed by his miracle yesterday, but now they're confused by his teaching today. And Jesus now continues in verse 53. He doubles down. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And so again, just imagine you're hearing this for the first time. What is He talking about? Eat His flesh? Drink His blood? Is He serious? Is he delusional? Is he espousing some kind of strange cannibalism? And not to mention the law of Moses prohibited the people from ever drinking any kind of blood. And so then finally the crowds respond again. And then later in verse 66 it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That is, they walk away. And that is what then leads us finally to the question that we started with. Uh, Look with me now at verse 67. After now many, if not most, of this huge, this massive crowd have turned back, turned away, they've walked away to no longer follow Jesus. Jesus now turns in verse 67 to face his closest band of followers, his 12 disciples, it says in verse 67, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Or as some translations put it in our title this morning, Will you also walk away? Students, again, over the next several years of your life, far more important than your choice of school, than your choice of a major, then your choice of a profession or a location far more important than any of those things is how you will answer this question. Will you also walk away? Several years ago, I came across a study that was done by the Barna Group that said that an estimated three out of every five students... And students who in many cases grew up in church or went to a Christian school or even a Christian college like Bob Jones. Three out of every five will then leave the church or possibly even leave the faith after graduation from high school or sometime during their college career. Three out of every five. That is amazing. That is sad. And really the question is why? Why? I personally have known many Uh, many of my own peers, uh, many of my own friends, even some of my very, very close friends, who once professed faith in Christ in high school or even while we were college students here, uh, but then later in life they walked away. They stopped following the Lord. They seemed to have now no interest in the things of God or spiritual things whatsoever. And really, sadly, I could tell you that story after story after story. And so again, the question this morning is why? Why do so many, at least it seems, walk away? Well, with the time that we have left this morning, I want to do two things, alright? Uh, number one, I want to share with you some very practical reasons. Uh, reasons that I have observed over the years uh, as to why so many walk away. Uh, but then secondly, we'll close by going back to the text, and I want us to focus in the final moments on Peter's response to this question. And it's a response that is my prayer that will be your response in answering this extremely important question, will you also walk away? And so again, why do so many walk away from the faith? Well, I think there's some very practical reasons or at least reasons that I have observed throughout my life. Uh, The first of which is one that I hear all the time, especially with young students, is that they walk away or they want nothing to do with Christianity because they say of all the hypocrites that they see in the Christian community. All the people that they say they see in the church or in the churches who will say one thing but then do another. And so they say, I want nothing to do with this faith because of all the hypocrites. To which I always respond... I'm glad you don't like hypocrites. I don't either. But really, in some way, shape, or form, every single one of us have been a hypocrite in some capacity at some point in your life. Even the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, the things that I want to do, I don't. The things that I don't want to do, sometimes I do. But I would say if you're so opposed to hypocrisy, which I'm glad, then why on earth would you walk away from the only one in all of human history who never was? The one who was and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some walk away, secondly, because of fear. A fear of of following the Lord's will or God's plan for their life and what that might mean for them and for their future. They'd rather be the one calling the shots. They feel that's safer. To which I always respond, there can be absolutely no more safer place than in the very center of God's will. Thirdly, some walk away in search of satisfaction elsewhere. So they choose to run after the fleeting pleasures of this life. To which I respond, it's only as the Bible says, it's only in His presence... That there is fullness of joy, the Psalms say. And it says, at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Some walk away because the Christian life is boring. To which I respond, a complacent Christian life is boring. A vibrant, intimate relationship and walk with the King of Kings is the furthest thing from boring. Some walk away to follow after a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or even ultimately a spouse. To which I respond, why would you walk away from the one who has loved you and does love you fuller and deeper than anyone on this earth ever could? Some walk away because the Christian life is restricting. The laws, the commandments, the rules are burdensome. To which I respond, the closer I grow in my walk with the Lord, the more I realize, students, just how shackled I truly was before Christ. But now, how in Christ, how I am free. I am truly, fully free. Some walk away because of doubts or questions. Is this really the truth? What about all the other religions? Things like that. Some walk away because of doubts. To which I respond, doubts themselves are not wrong. In fact, I believe they are normal. When I was a youth pastor, I was always worried about the student that didn't have questions about what we were talking about. Shows that maybe it wasn't processing, they weren't thinking about it. Even John the Baptist, the one Jesus referred to as the greatest, at the end of his life while he was in prison, he questioned, are you the Christ or should we look for another? And Jesus in that passage then pointed John to the same place that I would point you, and that is to the scriptures. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So there are many reasons why somebody might drift away, might walk away from the Lord. But again, as we conclude this morning, my hope and my prayer is that for every single one of you in this room, that when you are confronted with with this question, that your answer, your answer will be the exact same as was the Apostle Peter's 2,000 years ago. So look with me now, our final verse, down at verse 68. Verse 68 says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom, he says, to whom shall we go? Ultimately, to walk away from the faith is to walk away from him. And who, students, who could you possibly turn to or go to that would compare to him? Whose hand could you ever hold that was pierced for you? Whose head could you ever embrace that was crowned with thorns for you? Who could you possibly turn to? Would it not be the epitome of foolishness to turn your back on the one who saw the Father's back as he suffered in agony upon that cross for you? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And then he says this, I love this. He says, you have the words of eternal life. That is the words that you speak. They're not the the fleeting philosophies of this age. They are lasting and they are eternal and they are life. You have the words of eternal life. So why would you walk away from the lover of your soul and the one who offers eternal life for your soul? Students, you could spend the rest of your days searching and searching and searching and searching some more. But I can tell you now with confidence, you can search, but you will never find. You will never find peace. You will never find joy. You will never find contentment because, and don't ever forget this, only he can ever truly and fully satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. So students, will you also walk away? My prayer is that every time you will answer as Peter did. Lord, to whom could we possibly go? Because you and you alone have the words of eternal life. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. First and foremost for our Savior. He is everything to us. He is all to us. Without him, before him, We were hopeless and helpless, lost, and even dead, as your word says, dead in our trespasses and sins. But then you so loved the world that you sent to us your greatest gift, your only Son, that whosoever believes in him should never die, but instead have everlasting life. He came with words of eternal life. And then he died upon that cross, was buried and rose again, that we might have eternal life. Who compares? Who could possibly compare to our Savior? Father, I pray for each one of these students, especially those who are seniors and making decisions, even maybe even this week, as to what the future holds for them. Lord, that I pray that as they graduate from this place, they will not drift away or certainly walk away, but instead run to you all the days of their life. Now commit the rest of this day, the rest of this week to you. Thank you for this time and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.